Tammy and I got to worship with Adam and his family in the, uh, the mountains of Colorado a couple of weeks ago. And it was such a delight to get to see them and Rylan and his family and Joe Coolin and the others who, who joined us for a very noisy worship service, which is what we like because they brought children and children play. And I, I'm aware that some churches want the children to be quiet, but here's the thing. If they get too quiet, they're gone and your church is dead. We like when children make noises. Some of our children are away today to visit other mothers and other places. But um, again, so grateful you're here. 3,000 subscribers. Our plan, what we really want from each of you is share this with one other person, maybe two other people, so that the, the message of religion without condemnation can spread, that faith without fear can take hold in more and more lives. For you see, that's really what we are about. We're not an alternative for COVID and post-COVID years, although some use us that way. We're also not a refuge for those that are bitter at church, although many of us have been, were, and we're refuge there too. Primarily what we are is an attempt to reset our hearts and reset our thoughts about God and life, getting all the barnacles off the ship of faith so that we can sail far more smoothly and with joy and peace. But we do have a problem. I can remember driving around with friends of mine in the States and every so often they'd say, oh, look over there, they're deer. Oh, look over there, they're turkeys. You know, look over there. I never saw one, never saw a one because I wasn't trained to see it. You know, in Breton, uh, the only people that get to hunt are rich English people named Nigel. Um, and so it was not a part of my culture to understand any of this. Occasionally, they'd let the Scottish people hold the deer that Nigel would shoot. And that's how we lost Hamish. But I, 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 I never grew up with that culture. And so I, I, I didn't see. Now, in Colorado, they came right up to the window and looked at us. We're going, gotcha. Thanks for turning yourselves in. Um, but I, I wasn't trained. In fact, I was trained to not see because it wasn't mine, it wasn't ours, it wasn't allowed. There's a problem when we read our Bibles. <clears throat> it's not hard to spot the problem unless you've been trained not to see it. And tragically, we've been trained not to see it. What is it here? Love. Love is everywhere through the Bible. It soaks it. It's repeatedly said to be the mark of the Jesus follower. And yet, we rush past it, we ignore it, or most insidiously, we redefine love to mean some form of judgment and some sort of enforcement of rules and standards. How many times I've had people say, Patrick, because I love you, let me list what you're doing wrong. And I'm going, stop loving me. I don't like it. But that was the kind of love that we were given. Harsh love, tough love, mean love. But let's, an example, Galatians 5, 6. Paul asserts, Paul, 
who most people bring out as the big lawgiver in the club to start swinging around to get everybody in line. Paul says, the, Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. That's it. You have to be quite the acrobat to turn that into a way to judge others, but we, we have acrobats that do so. In verse, just eight verses later, in chapter 5 and verse 14 of Galatians, he says, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's almost as if he really wanted us to see that. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, he says, Be imitators, therefore, of God as dearly beloved children and live a life of love, just as Christ, just as, there's our example and our standard, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, gave himself up for us, okay, that's another standard, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Live your life in love, giving yourself up to others. It doesn't say anything about live your life in love and let's go around and measure the spirituality of others to see if they come up to par. But I have to ask you, those in the room and those around the world, does that sound like churches? Does it sound like church people? Sadly, it really doesn't. Most people have been judged by church people. Most people have issues with church people. And it's because they haven't loved. And the church people would say, well, well, we had to maintain standards. <laughs> yeah, but the standard was love. That's the thing you missed. It. You, know, you missed the measuring thing there. Now, the Jones, lovely um, giving um, devotional. Very strange. Um, I just, I was... I was imagining free-range engineers, <laughs> hordes of them over the plains with their unique courting rituals showing the intended a spreadsheet. See how they might respond. We're glad we got them because, you know, if engineers don't have standards, bridges fall down. So we're glad we've got them, right? We do. And we, in, we invite them to parties, but that's all right because we also invite actuaries to make the engineers look interesting. So we're able to assimilate them into broader culture, which I, I appreciate. But there are some things that you need uh, yes and no black and white standards are. You really do. You, you know, if the doctor says, all right, we're, we're going to... Make an incision here, well, here-ish, um, to find a stomach which is probably there. That's not helpful. But in religion, the standard is love. 1 Corinthians 13, we all know 1 Corinthians 13, because somebody says love, you know it's, it's legally required that you go to 1 Corinthians 13, or so it seems. But at the very end, it says there are only three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? Love. love. Do you understand the import of what we've just said? Or what Paul said, and then we just agreed to. That to God, love is more important than faith. He talks in Romans, Paul does, about some people without the law 
have fulfilled the law. They lived the law. And that some people with the law did not. I get that. How many times have I been loved so well that I've thought, well, this person must be a Christian and they weren't a believer at all. And I'm thinking, okay, then I've got to up my standard. I've got to love better than them. We've had neighbors before, Cammie and I, and, and one in Colorado, that it was very frustrating because we could not outlove them no matter what we did. We, we would come back in smiling and go, oh, yeah, you shut the door and go, all right, that did not go well. We've got to find, we, we cannot let these people outlove us. And, and we never did win, did we? We never did. And it was just amazing. Love is important. In Colossians 3, 14, and again, I keep going to Paul because Paul is so misused as an angry lawgiver. In Colossians 3, 14, he lists Christian virtues and then says, and over all these things put on love which binds all these in unity. Above all these things. If you've got to get it wrong, err on the side of love. If you've got to get it wrong, err on the side of mercy and grace. Because you're going to get it wrong, why don't we just head for mercy, grace, and love anyway? Peter even puts it this way in 1 Peter 4 and verse 8. Love, listen carefully, love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't point out sins. Love doesn't stand up and say, all right, you know what's wrong with you people? Yes, God lists some things that are right and wrong. Don't worry. Those of you that are just itching to judge are ready to, we'll talk about that, not today, because I really don't want to, but we will. It's in, it's in the program. It's in this story arc. I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen, all right? Because I, I want you to put your judging on hold and see how hard that is. It's really hard. But it's what we do. It's who we are. Love doesn't point out sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. And when God lists sins that he hates, like in Proverbs 6, he only lists seven. Even then, my mom is coming up to 91 years old. And uh, I always think of my mom when I think of Proverbs 6 and the list of sins. I'll explain. I'll explain. She's a righteous woman. But it's the phrasing. <laughs> because it starts off, six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. It's like, oh, just thought of another. And that's the way my mother would be. You know, you know what's wrong with you, young man? There are, there are three, there, there are four things that by the time we were done, she'd been in labor 18 years and I wasn't worth it. You know, it was one of those things, right? Fair enough, fair enough. But love doesn't point out the sins. Love doesn't say you missed a spot. Love takes care of it. I'll, I'll take care of that for him. I'll do that. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he did not hesitate. He did not stutter. He did not waffle or sound uncertain. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This, he said, is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he added one line of commentary. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. You can get worship wrong. I don't even know what that means, but you can get it wrong. You can get your music wrong. You can get your baptism wrong. You can get your church organization wrong. You can get everything wrong, but don't you dare get love wrong. Love 
is greater than all these things. Back to Paul. He wrote almost half the New Testament, so we have to go back to Paul. Romans 13, verses 8 and 10, he says, Let no debt remain outstanding. You guys took care of that with spreadsheets. I took care of it with hope. Didn't work as well. (laughs) Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing, you're never going to pay it off, the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Why are we arguing anymore? Why are we saying, all right, you can be in the church, but you can't? Or this liturgy is better than that liturgy. Or I don't like the outfits the, the, the leader of your church wears. I, yeah, I, you, Christian Twitter is a dumpster on fire causing a train to wreck. Love is the fulfillment of the law. He says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Check it out. That's Paul in Romans 13, verses 8 and 10. Jesus prayed in the garden the night he was betrayed, and being he was Jesus, he had a choice of subject material. And he prayed about love, and he prayed about us, and he said, he asked his father for something very specific. He said, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order so why did, why did Jesus come? Why is he here? Why is he in the garden? Why is he in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them? Jesus came because of love. And he wants us to be like that. Of course, you know John 13, 35. You might have thought I'd lead with that. You know, they'll know you are my followers by the love you have for each other. The whole, the first John chapter 4, verse 7 through chapter 5, verse 2, is drumming home the reality that God is love and those who follow him are love. I'm going to read it. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God. I got to tell you, that gave us such heartburn. They might love, but they got everything else wrong. So I'm not really sure how we're going to get rid of this first, but we shall. (sighs) Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in him. And I got to tell you, when we read this or this was ever read in our assemblies, inside I was screaming exceptions and yes, but... Because I hadn't been trained to see what was there. I'd been trained to not see it. Or to find it away. Oh my goodness. This is how we know we live in him and he in us. He's given us of his spirit. We've seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. 
If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them. Well, he seemed to have skipped a few steps. But being God, he might be right. He lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. By the way, I read this passage once. A man came up to me and he was very upset with me. And he said, you are disregarding the scripture. And I said, no, I'm reading it. It was a short conversation. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Love on the day of judgment gives you confidence. Read Matthew 25. The only, by the way, Matthew 25 is the only description of what happens on the day of judgment we have in scripture by anybody who knows. Because he's Jesus. Kind of runs the thing. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not perfect in love. In other words, God has no interest in punishing you. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to him in repentance. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. And by the way, you can't get out of that by saying, well, they're not really my brother or sister because, no. You see, let me, a wee word. I had three older sisters. I know what persecution means. <laughs> Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Except those who caused it. If they had had a vote, they would have voted me out of the family. They really would and that's not uh, something against them. If I'd had people that would have voted on my side, I would have done the same back to them. You don't get to vote somebody else out of the family. You don't get to decide who's in the family. The dad and mom decide who's in the family. And the father says, you're, you're brothers and sisters. Whoever does not love their brother and sister who they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. And he has given us his command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Loves each other. And this is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. And that's where, again, that knee jerk. Okay, here are the commands. I've got the list. But keep reading. The command is to love each other. It's just like he's, will they get it? Will they get it? But it's like the song last week, they ate the apple. How many times did I tell them? Notice what's not in any of these scriptures we quoted today. Here's where it might shock a few. Goodness. Let's talk about that. The forbidden fruit was not just an occasion to sin. It was not just about, they will know evil. Did you not read the rest of it? They will know evil and good. You see, that should make you go, hmm, good. Then you're ready. You might think being good was the whole point of following God, and you'd be wrong. I heard a, a dear friend who's a professor of New Testament at a Christian university once tell me, he said, Christians 
don't realize it, but they are really good Confucists. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, read the Tao. Uh, read, read, the, read the working of Confucius. He laid down proper behavior in personal and in community. He said, most Christians believe that's their job. Just going being good. And, and by the way, I understand that. But if you put goodness up there high, you would be wrong. God never says that. He says, be love. He says, be perfect as I am perfect. He doesn't say good. Why? Because we can't figure good out. That's why. Because sometimes it feels good to smack somebody. It does. Now, had I gone to minister school, I wouldn't tell you that. But I'd still think it. Because I'm human. Sometimes it feels good to cut somebody off in traffic. Sometimes it feels right and proper to take a complaint and run with it. Some will even believe that's their job because it's good to make sure this is all sort No, we're not good at figuring out good. As our young people over here have already figured out, but you will see it in action many, many times. Many of the medical decisions of my generation that we said this is good, they're, they're not going to be good. <laughs> you're going to do other tests and you're going to go, those idiots. Because that's the way we do. That's what happens. When I was a boy, you didn't want to eat too many vegetables because roughage wasn't good for you. And in Scotland, it's still, they, they have hunts to find a vegetable on a plate sometimes because they're so rare, except for potatoes, which the things we do to potatoes in Ireland and Scotland, I'm, it's a crime. But there again, who am I to judge? See, see how this works. We told people that if they had ulcers, they should drink milk and eat plain boiled eggs. And now we know almost all ulcers are caused by bacteria, so that didn't help them at all. They just had a miserable life. They lived longer, but it wasn't worth it. I think of that every time I'm eating something which is, quote, good for me. I'm going, yeah, this may make me live longer, but what's the point if I can't eat something I like? We told people, if you eat salt, your heart will blow up. And then we did our first longitudinal studies. That's a 40, 50, 60 year study and found out that unless you've got a really bad heart or a serious issue of blood pressure, nah, salt's fine. Um, sorry. My dad wouldn't even let us have a salt shaker. He had this fake salt. Tasted like metal filings. My mom, they would invite us to go there for Thanksgiving and the like, and you have to go, you know, you have to. So we'd stop at Wendy's along the way and pick up salt packets. <laughs> and by the end of the week, those things were worth money. And I said, what will you give me? You know, I'm, you could sometimes get somebody's dessert for a salt packet. We're not good at figuring out what's right. We're not good at figuring out what's good. 
Once we started judging what was wrong or evil, we automatically start trying to find out, judging what's good for our life, meaning and security, and we find it all in being good. And that gives us a lifetime job, walking around dividing between good and evil. That'll keep you so busy, you don't have time to love anybody. You'll start doling out your love on those you deem worthy of your love because they are good. You see how insidious this is? It just, it gets into everywhere. You'll develop religious rules. You'll develop boundaries. And well, like Eve did, you will narrow the boundaries of what is allowed. And you'll expand the boundaries of that which is forbidden. And you'll pick and choose who gets to receive your love, your time, your generosity, and your grace based upon a moral code that you and your particular community or tribe agreed upon. Some churches will go so far as to not offer charity to those that are outside their circle of good. God is calling us to love others. And yes, we'll still see good and evil. But we're, we're not moral relativists, but we're also not umpires throwing flags when we see evil and good. Some things are absolutely wrong, some things are absolutely good, but we leave that to God to judge. Our job is not to do anything but love. And regardless of who and what we see before us, we dedicate ourselves to love as God loves and as he has loved us. Maybe this will help. Whether somebody is guilty or not is a matter of law and principle in our court systems as well as in Scripture. But guilt is not sentence. It is not judging. Are we aware of this? Have you been to court? You can find somebody guilty and then they have to come back in later for the sentencing. We can look and see that to me seems good and that to me seems very wrong. But my job is still to love this person because the only one who can make a sentence is God. I can't make that sentence of saying, lock them away out of my life. Shut that down. No, that's, God can only do that. And there's something in the American constitution and legal system which isn't done much. I often wonder why. It's called jury nullification where they can come in saying, we don't care if they're guilty. We're letting them go. And you might go, what? Well, it's kind of like they looked at the situation and said, you know something? Who are we to judge? I mean, well, you are the jury. You know, um, you did agree to get there. If you, and if you don't know how to get out of a jury, you know, that's on you. Before we, by the way, just helpful, take rope. <laughs> Ask if it's a hanging offense. They'll let you go. Before we leave this lesson, we need to redefine our terms. American and English-speaking people in general just throw the word love around all too much. And it means way too many things. My wife and I were listening to a podcast, and the lady goes, when she went to Germany, uh, that the Germans were just appalled at the way she said love. Because love there means something very, very specific. Over here, it doesn't. You know, I, I, one, it can mean liking something. I love sunsets. I love ice cream. I love my car. It can be another word for friendship. I love Doug. I love Topper. It can be another, it, there's, the Greeks even have a, four, a third word for sexual love. I'm not given illustrations. 
Um, and then the fourth word they have is a universal and unconditional love. And we don't have a word for that in the English language. We don't. Yeah, it's here in the Greek, and it's that's the one we're going to talk about. It's the fourth word, agape. How do we put that into words? Here's the kicker. I've heard people try. I've even read their books. Now, you cannot put agape into words. You have to see it. And that's what God did. He gave us Jesus. 1 John 3.16 We know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Paul tells us that God proved his love for us by sending Christ, Romans 5 and verse 8, while we were yet sinners. We were undeserving. We weren't looking for love. We were not looking for anything. He still loved us and gave us unconditional love. He gave us Jesus. He showed love. And he didn't spend time sorting out who got it and who didn't. He loved the world. He so loved the world. And then, last scripture. Let me look up. Yeah, I'm going to get in there, David. I'm getting in under the wire. A lot of people don't know that there is a clock on me. Devin found out. It terrified him. <laughs> he assumed there was some punishment when it hit all zeros. But it's rather like a bomb in a movie. Never gets to zero. Hmm. Yet. Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. See? Good, evil. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, because he loves his enemies and he cares for them too. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I mean, even tax collectors do that. I like that he put them in there. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore. It's a word meaning complete and whole, holistic. Therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, eventually we'll talk about sorting good and evil. Misha, if you'd bring your team back up while I'm doing this little transition, this wee transition. By being, you can be perfect and whole by just being like Jesus. Don't sort people. Don't sort things. Stay away from the Garden of Eden fruit salad. Stick to what we're supposed to do. You got a full-time job. And that job is to love one another.